Well, yesterday, Christmas Day, I'm keenly aware that today is December 26th, and you might have as your mindset, you know, I'm ready to go ahead and start thinking about the new year. And I'm with you there. I am excited about 2022. I have no idea like you uh, what's going to take place, but another opportunity to walk with Jesus, another opportunity as a church family to grow in him, to reach people for Christ, to make disciples in a new year, to send more missionaries. Very excited about what's coming, but one more Sunday, let's hover together over really the marvels of the first Christmas here. So the nativity sets that we grew up with, that you have in your home. So I remember how they were in the house where I grew up. They were actually breakable in our house growing up, ceramic of some sort, and just very big part of our Christmas to see that there. And I remember you'd have your Mary and Joseph figurines. You had your Jesus in the manger. There would be the shepherds and some sheep there and some cows there also in the scene that we had at home. And in the scene we had, we also had three wise men there. And they were dressed in turbans and long robes, and they were all carrying something in a box there, very valuable looking, nice, nice set. Now, by now, we know that there might have been more than three wise men there that, that first time around, right? So we think of three because of those three gifts. Some traditions have built up around that. But, but biblically, there could have been a dozen. There could have been more. We don't know how many wise men. We also know by now that the wise men actually weren't there the first night. The scripture doesn't tell us that the wise men were there at the manger scene. They actually came some months later, maybe even up to two years later. That's the biblical teaching and the biblical evidence here. But I want us to spend some moments together here now considering those mysterious figures, the ones we call the magi or the ones we call the wise men. Let's read what the scripture says about them. And I believe there's a message or two for us in this occasion. Let's look at Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and following. Matthew 2, we'll pick up in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and came and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So who are these wise men? Who are these Magi. Well, we know that they were some sort of cross between astronomers and astrologers. These were men who were involved in some kind of science, some call it like a quasi-science, kind of like it's a, bit, uh, it's a bit odd when somebody's into astrology, trying to find a lot of meaning from the stars. These guys were into that, maybe a real science understanding of astronomy, but then into that astrology as well. We know they were Gentiles, meaning they were non-Jewish people, but somehow where they lived, they had come under the influence of Judaism. Perhaps they were God-fearing Gentiles, having heard the message about a, a Messiah coming. They were certainly interested, interested in that. And we know they were wealthy. We know they were wealthy because of the value of the gifts that they brought. 
We're told in the scriptures that they came from the east, and we don't know exactly where. We're not told what country, but perhaps from Arabia, perhaps from Babylon, perhaps from Persia, but they came from the east. But then we have to ask the question, what about that star? This is certainly no ordinary star. Here's what John MacArthur says about this. He says, it was surely the glory of God blazing as if it were an extremely bright star, visible only to the eyes for whom it was intended to be seen that appeared to the Magi in the east and later guided them to Bethlehem. It was a brilliant manifestation of the sign of the Son of Man. The Shekinah glory of God stood over Bethlehem just as centuries before it had stood over the tabernacle in the wilderness. And just as the pillar of cloud gave light to Israel, but darkness to Egypt, only the eyes of the Magi were open to see God's great light over Bethlehem. That's an interesting take. A lot of, a lot of possibilities there that could exactly be what was happening there. But here's what we know. This star was new. And these men connected somehow to the birth of the Messiah. This star led them to Jerusalem where they could inquire about the birthplace of the king of the Jews. And then that star led them over the house where Jesus was there in Bethlehem. Now, what did the wise men do in response to all this? Well, let's look at verses 9 and following now. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense and myrrh and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod they departed to their own country by another way so these wise men however many there were they were drawn to the new king in order to worship him and to present their gifts and they brought some expensive gifts now, we know of Mary and Joseph, they were of humble means. We know that because when they brought their offering into the temple in the dedication of Jesus, they brought lowly gifts as allowed under the law. Had they had greater means, they would have given a greater gift. But under the law, they brought the very humble gifts. So we know they didn't have a lot materially. Now, here is God providing for them through these wise men from afar, bringing very valuable gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold then, as now, very valuable. Certainly a gift fitting for a king that they were coming to meet. They also gave this frankincense and myrrh, fragrant spices, fragrant perfumes, also of great value, also fitting for adoration and for worship. But here's a question. Here's a big question for us. Why did God reveal himself to these wise men, these magi? Why did God draw them, of all people, why did he draw them to Bethlehem? I want us to consider together the implications of that, that God went after them to draw them to himself. First of all, understand this. Jesus came first to the Jews, but his intent was always to bring a savior for the entire world. We see that in God reaching out to these magi. So we have to assume these magi had contact with Jews who were in the diaspora spread out across the east. They had heard something of the Messiah, though not Jewish. They're now inquiring about the king of the Jews. That is profound. God did that to give them an, an interest in the working of God among his people. 
But then this is profound. God then gave them a star to follow. Think about that for a moment. We, we know the story. Yeah, there was a new star and they followed that. But just think a moment that God gave them a brand new star in order to draw them to Christ. That's very, very huge. It's a miraculous thing that God is, a huge miracle. Now, we're used to miracles at Christmas, right? Because we have an incarnation, a virgin birth, so we go, yeah, star in the sky. Of course, God can do anything, but it is amazing that God would do that. What I want you to notice with me is, isn't that great love of God? That God, once again, I'm gonna do something dramatic that these foreigners, they would also get in on what I'm doing for my people. God spoke their language. So here are people who just made their lives all about what's happening up in the heavens with the stars and the planets. And God gave them another star that they would see. And then God gave them this attachment of that. Okay, here's a new star. Somehow they made the jump. And this is connected to the Messiah that the Jewish people have been talking about. I've thought about this a lot through the years. If God put a new star in the sky for me tonight, I would have no idea. I wouldn't notice. If God put 300 new stars up there tonight, I would not have a clue. Sadly, I only look at the stars like twice a year. I don't know if you're like me. I don't, I just forget to look up. I mean, I, I drive in, I have a garage at the house. I pull in the garage, I go in, I leave and, and uh, I just don't look up. I do know two constellations. I know the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper. And to be honest with you, if I look up tonight, I won't know which one's which. I, I mean, like, when I see it the first time, is that the Big Dipper? Is that the little? I know nothing. So I'm so glad God is speaking to me in different ways. But isn't it very specific to people preoccupied with the stars? God so loved them. He did this dramatic thing that they would notice and then also give them this connection to this is to do with the birth of the Messiah. Let me ask you this. What sign are you waiting for in order to follow Jesus? I want you to consider with me, God is... He's not spared anything to reach you as well. You say, if he gave me a star in the sky, well, then I'd believe and then I'd follow. He's done far more than a star in the sky. He's given you something even better than that. God gave his son for you. And you say, well, I, well okay, I know that already. But listen, listen what he did. He preserved that specific message for you in the Bible. And I'm grateful for that. I'd rather have a Bible than a new star in the sky that I try to figure out. I wonder what that means. Like if, there, if somebody told me like, Jim, there's a new star tonight. I'd be like, I don't know what to do with it. Well, that's cool, but, but so what's he trying to tell me? Aren't you glad for a Bible? He has told us specifically, here's exactly what you need to know. We have things like this, Matthew 121. Aren't you glad this was preserved for us in the scriptures? She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. But, all right, I know exactly what kind of savior this is because God put it down for me so I would know it. In those pages of scripture, we have all those prophecies given and the prophecies fulfilled in Christ. In the scriptures we have recorded for us, though we weren't there, we have it recorded for us. What happened there? All these angel pronouncements to Mary and Joseph, aren't you glad that's recorded in the scripture? All that this was gonna mean, the virgin birth, all that's gonna mean. The angels on the hillside to the shepherds, that's preserved for us. We know exactly what God's up to here. The teaching about the virgin birth and what it was all about, that Jesus is gonna save us from our sins. And this same God who did all that for you, better than a sign in the heavens, a Bible there, that same one has brought you here today to hear that gospel message again. That is huge. You might say, well, I'm only here because somebody invited me and I wasn't really, sure I wanted to come. That's a huge thing if you're here because somebody invited you. You do realize there are not a, really a whole lot of faithful Christians in the world. And there aren't 
among the faithful Christians, there are not a lot of people inviting other people to church. So if you're here today because somebody invited you, that is huge what God did for you to bring you to this space that you would hear the good news of a God who loves you as well. But the question is, what will you do in response to what God has been doing to reveal himself to you? The Magi, aren't you glad? Oh, they responded with belief. They were pursuing the God who first pursued them and they responded with belief and it was life-changing for them. But let's continue just considering some implications here as we just think about God reaching these wise men. Here's a reminder that the gospel is for all people, including those who are far off ethnically. People who are far off ethnically. And that, that's, I'm talking about us here. Uh, I don't know all of your lineage and background, but, but I'm not Jewish. I don't have a Jewish background. The Jewish people, God's chosen people, all of us far off ethnically. We were not a part of the family of God initially. So here we find God reaching out with a Jewish Messiah to Gentiles like us to bring us in. By, by the way, let me remind you, we're farther off ethnically, even distance-wise, geographically, than these wise men. They came from the east, whether it's Persia, whatever. But to get to, the, get to Jerusalem um, into Bethlehem, a little closer than us. <laughs> we're even farther away. And this gospel has reached us. But I love this, Revelation 7. After these things, and look, I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice saying, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. But God has been about reaching people who are distant, even people outside of his Jewish people, people like us, he's invited into his family through faith in Christ. Not only that, as we consider the gospel implications of, of the Magi here and them coming to faith, God is reaching out to people through his gospel, people who are far off spiritually from different ethnicities, but people who are far off spiritually. So these Magi, we already said these were astrologers. That's not the good one. Astronomer, respectable science. Astrology, not so. These guys were into things like uh, some, some superstition and maybe even some occult practices. Our word magic comes from this same word, magi. And so these guys were not close spiritually. That's not their background. Like we're, we're almost there. They were very far from being among the believers in God and yet God reached them. Here we find people who started off far from God, far from a biblical understanding, of the people of God about salvation. And here they are seeking Jesus. They're seeking the Messiah. They are responding to God's initiative. And so God gave them this sign who were far off to draw them near that they would be close to him. And once again, God brought you here. And here's a reminder, you're not too far off spiritually for you today to become a believer in Jesus Christ. If God can reach Magi from the East, all caught up in astrology and superstition, perhaps occult practices in their background, and now they're believers in the Messiah, even recorded in the scriptures for us. Listen, you're not too far gone. You're not too far away. You can turn from whatever you've been chasing. Today, you can put your faith in Jesus Christ, be born again, have a new life. You can be a part of the people of God. And we see it happening all over the world, even today. There are those who are Muslims who come to put their faith in Christ. We have great reports coming from people serving in the Middle East and in South Asia and Central Asia, people coming to faith in Christ. How about this? Not just people in other countries far from God spiritually, but right here. A couple of years ago, Outreach Magazine featured a story about prison churches. You ever heard of prison churches? I'm not talking about just having chapel services for the prisoners. That's wonderful. But prison churches. So one example is Angola Prison. And Angola Prison in Louisiana, 
That was the bloodiest prison in Louisiana. But now Angola prison is not known for being the bloodiest prison. It's the most evangelized prison in Louisiana. There are seven churches inside Angola prison. Again, not chapel services. I bet those still happen too. But churches where seven congregations of inmates in a maximum security prison, they have gathered themselves as believers. Some of these guys actually asked for transfers into other maximum security prisons so they could be missionaries to other people like them. We're somebody, you, you're not too far from God that you can't be brought near to God through faith in Jesus Christ. It's so, so exciting what he's doing there. In fact, New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, one of the seminaries you support through your cooperative program giving, they have theological training programs for these prisoners in Angola prison. It's where the pastors are coming from in these churches made up of 100% prisoners there. Born again, raised up in the leadership to shepherd one another in jail. We're just talking about this gospel is for people far off ethnically like all of us who are Gentiles, people far off spiritually have a background that's pagan. God can reach you and make you new there. And also this Christmas story tells us all walks of life are welcome to come to Christ. Here we have the shepherds that we consider in Luke's account on the hillside, ordinary shepherds, the gospels for them. But also now these learned and wealthy wise men, also the gospels for them. But all this brings us back to a response. So what is your response to this good news of the grace of God offered to all people, even offered to you? We have two options given to us even in our text. We can consider, we can respond like the wise men, or we can respond like Herod. Herod here, you remember when the wise men came to Jerusalem seeking, hey, where's this one born king of the Jews? Remember Herod, he faked interest. He faked like he wanted to worship. He said, hey, when you find him, let me know because I too want to worship him. And it was a lie. He was deeply threatened by the idea of one who would be born king of the Jews. Herod knew he had no rightful place to be king of the Jews. He's not from the line of David. He was from the line of Esau. He was an Edomite. He knew the people didn't like him. He was a despicable king over that region. He was a ruthless tyrant. In fact, we know so because he was so threatened by the idea of a one born king of the Jews that he set out the plan to exterminate all the males in Bethlehem from age of two down. And he carried out that ghastly, that ghastly thing. And of course, an angel warned Mary and Joseph to take Jesus safely out of there before that massacre happened. Historians tell us that, that Herod was indeed wicked. He would be quick to kill any rival, anybody he perceived as a threat. But listen to this one example of how awful King Herod was in his day. Before his own death, he knew he was dying. He had a number of prominent citizens in Jerusalem rounded up and arrested with orders that when he died, he wanted these prominent beloved citizens killed on the day he died so that it would be sure to be mourning in Jerusalem. Can you imagine how ruthless, how self-centered this man was? But here, here's the root of the problem for him was, I don't, I don't want another king. I'm the king. I'm threatened by the fact that somebody else might have a claim to leadership. And listen, I want you to know that when you consider putting your faith in Jesus, there is a threat to your leadership. Herod was right about that one thing. There is a threat to your leadership. When you ask Jesus to be your savior, you're not bringing him to be a subject in your life. You're not bringing him as like a genie for your life. Yeah, I could use a little help. I'm still gonna maintain absolute control of my life. And when God can help me, I'll, I'll summon him. And when he's not useful to me, I'll put him out of the way. That's not Jesus. You, you should understand that. He, he's coming in and he's gonna be the Lord of my life. He's King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Certainly I have to relate to him that way. And so rightly understand this, this wonderful loving savior is King 
and you want to joyfully embrace it. In fact, there's the Magi. Look at the contrast. They came from another place, and they say, we want to we wanna meet the one who's king of the Jews. And they, they made this long journey. They followed the star, however God led them miraculously through that. They come to the house where the child Jesus is, and they came to worship. And there, there's great joy it talks about there in that. And they present their gifts. Listen, that, that needs to be you and me. Is that your decision today? To turn from your sin, turn from the past that you've had, and pivot now to Jesus to worship him. Turn over all your control to him. Let him be the savior of your life and follow him as your Lord. But there's one more message here I want us to get before we go. And that is, is I want you to see missions all in this passage as well. Isn't Christmas really all about missions in a way? I mean, this is where we learn it from. Here's God in order to reach us, becoming one of us in the person of Christ in order to reach us. We talk about the incarnation. Do you know missionaries use that term? They talk about incarnational missions, meaning we want to send missionaries who will go live among the people. So short-term missions is good. Short-term missions oftentimes feeds into long-term missions. But if you just had short-term missions taken a week here or a week there, not a lot would happen in terms of kingdom growth. But we thank God for short-term missions if it supplements and enhances a long-term presence on the ground. So really the best missiology, the best strategy for reaching other nations is an incarnational approach. A man or a woman or a couple, they leave where they're from, maybe Korea or leave here. A Christian couple leaves where they're from and they go and land in another country and they become incarnational. They learn the language of the people they're around. So they don't have to learn, people don't have to learn English in order to be saved. We, well, we're going to learn your language. We're coming to you. And we're going to dress like you. We're going to eat like you as much as we can. We're going to come to be around you in order we might bring this everlasting gospel to you that you haven't heard yet, that reached us in our distant place. Now we're bringing it to you. And so we see that in our Lord, that, that God was willing to reach us, becoming one of us. We want to model that ourselves. But also in this story, we see God's heart for distant people, that he did not turn a blind eye to the lost and other people. And may God give us the same heart for people far from us who've never heard, the millions and millions who've never heard, even now, the name of Jesus. May God give us a growing compassion for them. Yeah, as we think about 2022, maybe we have a growing compassion for that. So here we are with a Lottie Moon Christmas offering goal of $150,000. And isn't that right? Isn't that appropriate? Knowing that missions is at the heart of God for all people, then it's so right that we would give sacrificially to such a cause as that. And we're off to a great start there. But I also want to remind you this time of year that we have members presently serving overseas. So far from family and friends, they're out there in obedience to God's call to international missions. You're supporting them with your prayers. You're supporting them in your giving. But let's remember them together. First, we have Alex who played the drums on Christmas Eve here. He's in missionary training. And for the next year and a half or so before launching out to someplace, he doesn't even know yet which country he's going to go to, but he's in training to go. Praise God for that. But we have members serving in the Middle East and we don't talk about them publicly and we don't certainly name where they serve because of obvious reasons. But you have members of the church who serve in the Middle East, taking the gospel to people who need to hear it. We have members serving in South America. We have members serving in Central Asia. We have members serving in Southeast Asia. And many of you and many of the people in our church have served previously. God's brought them back, but they've served in these places all around the world. But here's the question in light of this. Who's next? Who's next? 
And my prayer is that God will call out some. So part of my excitement for 2022, people getting saved, people being discipled and all that. But then God calling out some additional people to take this gospel to people at the ends of the earth who've never heard the name of Jesus. And so I pray that you will pray about that, that you'll pray for others, but you can't pray for others if you're not saying at the same time, oh, what about me, Lord? Are you calling me to go? Some of us, we have to ask the question, are you calling us to go again? And we have to have that willingness. Lord, I know this is at the heart of you. I wanna be a part of sending. I wanna be a part of giving. And Lord, I'm willing to be a part of the going. Let's pray together.